wanted to start this morning by just saying thank you for all of your prayers and support as we have uh, anticipated this move and this new journey that we're embarking on with you all. Um, we have felt so loved and so supported throughout this process from your prayers, from moving help. Um, a part of this church family. And so with that, I have to, one thing, to, I apologize for my voice this morning. Uh, Florida greeted me with some nice allergies uh, when I got here, so I'm a little raspy, but uh, hanging in there. And also, I wanted to ask you a favor. As I get to learn you and your names and your stories, please keep telling me your names. Uh, once they're in here, it's a steel trap, baby. I got this, but it's going to take me a little while maybe to get them in there. But I would love for you to introduce yourself. Tell me who you are. Um, as we just get to know each other, that'd be a great help to me so that uh, I can learn more of your stories and, and uh, learn more about um, this family that we have here. So if you have your Bible this morning, I'd love for you to turn to Acts chapter 1 today. For the next few months, we'll be studying uh, this book, uh, looking at the early church, the story of the early church. And, and as we study we, uh, through this book of Acts, we will find some answers, uh, but also what we'll find is a lot of questions. We'll find ourselves wondering uh, a lot of things. Uh, frankly, really, the question that kind of comes to mind when you sh- first start this book, uh, the whole answer to this book, uh, what is the church? Or maybe that right off is the wrong question. Maybe we should be asking, who is the church? You know, is the church its building or its people or, or a combination of the two? You know, is, is the church our, our separate congregations or a united global entity? Are large churches more churchy than smaller churches, or are small churches more true to how the church began, or does it matter? What about house churches? Where do they fall into things? What should be the church's primary focus? Is it the preaching and the studying of the word? Is it musical worship? Is it social justice? Is it missions work? Is it necessary to go to church to be a Christian? How does the mission of the church compare or contrast to Jesus' mission while he was here on this earth? Does the church get involved in political things? Should it get involved in political things? You know, what was the birth of the church? How did it come about? And was it God's original plan or was it kind of a plan B after Jesus was crucified and he was thrown for a loop? So I never saw that coming and so I better get something else going here. And what is the church? Or is it who is the church? And these are the kinds of questions that are often asked as we look through this book of Acts. But I think even more so in the last year, these questions have come to my mind. I can distinctly remember uh, about 55 weeks ago, early March 2020, sitting in my living room. I'd just come back from a church event and sitting there. And uh, back then, you know, coronavirus, we didn't even call it COVID then, uh, was, was something that was over there. You know, it was something that really didn't impact us at this point. And so it was on the other side of the world. I thought, you know, that's, it'd never make it here. And, and lo and behold, as it arose on, came to our shores, uh, the CDC said, suddenly said, you know, no groups of more than 50 people for eight weeks. And I just thought there, I, I sat there dumb thought, you know, dumbstruck, saying, how are, how are we going to not have church services for eight weeks? You know, that's, that's, that's crazy. And if only it had been just eight weeks that we've been dealing with this. But as we look at this, we kind of began to find ourselves faced with this question in this past year of, you know, how do you church when church doesn't look like church? You know, how do you uh, be the church when your services are removed from the equation? Or or what does it look like when you can't meet together in the way that you always have? And nearly every church across the country had to find out how to do church or how to be the church outside the building. 
And while this presented a lot of challenges all along the way, I think it also led to, for us to think critically of what the church truly is. And I think even though we're on the kind of precipice of getting back to normal, maybe we shouldn't forget what it means for the church to leave the building. And with that in mind, I'm calling this series, through our study in Acts, The Church Has Left the Building. Now, some of you who are a little more aged than myself hear a familiar phrase in there, Elvis has left the building. And I had to really, you know, fight the temptation to do an Elvis impression this morning because I'm, I'm really bad at impressions. And so I, you know, many of you are saying, thank you. Thank you very much for not doing one. <laughs> I told you it's terrible. But Elvis has left the building. It was a phrase that maybe you've heard of. But what it was is a phrase, uh, announcement they could make at the end of one of his concerts. After he had left the building, there was going to be no more encores, no more songs. And so it was a message for people to leave. The show is over. You see, when Elvis left the building, that meant it was done. The show was over, go home. But something very different happens when the church leaves the building. When the church leaves the building, the show is not over. It means we're just getting started. And that's the kind of mission and passion that I want to capture from the story of the early church in this book of Acts. It's a story of power and promise of conflict and triumph. It's a story of instruction and identity, and it's one that really could shape the culture of South Lake Christian Church for years and years to come. And so as we embark on this journey looking through the book of Acts, I want to be a church that considers what it looks like to live out our church life outside of these walls what it looks like to leave the building on the mission that Jesus has given us. This book begins in my former book, Theophilus. And we kind of have just to already put on the brakes because there's a bunch of questions already raised in just these first five words. You know, who's writing? What's this former book? Who or what is a Theophilus? And so the book of Acts is actually a second book of a two-book set. The first we know as the Gospel of Luke. Luke is writing this story as a continuation of his story of Jesus. Here is what Jesus has done in my gospel, and now here is what the church is doing in response to it. He continues to talk about the ministry of the church. He even joins in the story at some points. And so he's writing this to a man who is named Theophilus. Uh, this Greek word for it means God lover. And here we find this man of nobility that is kind of funding Luke's story. It took a lot of resources, a lot of substantial amount of finances and time and energy, especially in the ancient world, to put a book like this together. And so this man of nobility, Theophilus, kind of felt this conviction to use his wealth and to use his resources and influence to help Luke in order to grow his knowledge and his heart for Christ. I think there's an offering appeal in there somewhere. But Luke begins this story of the early church. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he...
But then the apostles ask a question, and it's a question that along with its answer really drives and shapes this entire book. Verse 6, it says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to... Really reveal their lack of understanding. And this question is no different. There are some errors that need cleaned up. Uh, John Calvin quipped that there are as many errors in this question as there are words. He said, are you going to restore the kingdom? Showing they are expecting a political kingdom. He said, are you going to restore it to Israel? Showing they are expecting a national kingdom. And are you going to do it now? As they are expecting an immediate kingdom. And so as Jesus often does for his followers, he gently corrects their expectations. And what he gives them as an answer really is kind of a, a table of contents for this entire book. The apostles will be sent out on this Jesus movement from their home base in Jerusalem. And from there, it will expand to the regions around them, Judea and Samaria, and eventually to the entire world. And this isn't one that just shapes this entire book of Acts. I think in really many ways it shapes the church and what we still do today. And so as the church is sent out, as, as the church leaves the building. We learn more what the church is intended to be. And the first thing we see is this, that the church is spirit-empowered. The church is spirit-empowered. It was written by Matthew, but what, it, what is an Acts? Well, traditionally, this book is called, you know, the Acts of the Apostles. It's the actions that the apostles are taking as they carry out the mission that Jesus gave them. Maybe some have called it the Acts of, you know, the church. Behind both of these groups, though, there's another actor influencing and leading the, the, the action of this book. Leading the, the, the movement as it spreads out from where it is. Leading in the background. Where it might most appropriately be named the Acts of the Holy Spirit. If you were to count up as you read through this entire book of Acts, you would see the Spirit mentioned 62 times. He is all over the place when it comes to the mission of the church. But it's not just that you see the Holy Spirit mentioned by name, but you find his fingerprints all over these events, all over the things that are happening. And just in a few verses here, the Holy Spirit is mentioned three times as this gift given to the early church that empowered them and emboldened them for their mission. But here's the thing with the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of us, most, many Christians have, have forgotten that he exists. Maybe not intellectually, we, we know that he is there and, and maybe know that he is present. But maybe for most purposes, we have forgotten what it means to live our lives acknowledging and enjoying the power available to us in the Holy Spirit. Or for those that do acknowledge his, his existence, they relegate his power to strange charismatic displays and swinging from the chandeliers, and, they, and we fear that talking about the Spirit or acknowledging him will make us weird or out there. But just like Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not you know, a, a mini-God or a vice-president God or a junior God on internship. He is God. He's not a power. He's not a thing. He's not a force. 
but he is much, as much a part of the Godhead as God the Father and God the Son. And so because of that, what I want to contend this morning is that the church can never be what the church is supposed to be if we don't recognize and understand the crucial role that the, church, that the Spirit plays in the vitality of the church. The church can never be what we are intended to be if we don't recognize the Holy Spirit's power and presence working through us to carry out the mission that Jesus gave us. We look at how the Spirit, some of the ways that we see the Spirit empower those in the book of Acts. We see that the Spirit leads. Always from the background, always pointing to Jesus, but still he leads. And we see Jesus affirm this. He says, wait here until the Holy Spirit comes, and then boom, immediately they're packing up and heading for Judea and Samaria and all over the world. We see the Holy Spirit is talkative. He's a chatterbox. Nearly every time we see the Holy Spirit come upon someone in Acts, we, see, we read the words that the Spirit came upon them, and they begin to talk. They, begin, they get to preaching. The Holy Spirit works in the background, encouraging and empowering people to talk about Jesus and the power and, and his presence in their lives, the power of his death and resurrection, how that changes everything for us. We see also that the Holy Spirit challenges. The Holy Spirit is called a comforter in many places, but that doesn't mean he'll always make you comfortable. In his book, Forgotten God, where Francis Chan is talking about how we've often neglected the power of the Spirit, he tells a story of a dinner that he had with a man who was one of 23 missionaries who had been taken captive by the Taliban in Afghanistan in July 2007. And of course, this missionary talked about the horrors of being locked up and, and knowing that martyrdom was a strong possibility. But he also talked about the last that they were all, the last day that they were all in prison together. And each of them had kind of surrendered their lives, knowing that the end goal was likely their execution. And they all acknowledged that they were willing to die for God and for his glory. They'd even come to a point where they had gotten a Bible smuggled to them, and they'd ripped it into 23 pieces so that each of them could just steal glances at Scripture whenever possible to find encouragement. And what's most amazing to me about this story is that they were eventually all rescued. And after they were back in Seoul, South Korea for a while, several of the team members kind of had the same feeling. And they began to communicate with one another, don't you wish we were still there? Don't you wish we were still in prison? Because there was a longing for this time where they had never felt such deep intimacy with God as they had in that prison cell, to the point where they hadn't been able to recapture that feeling in their comfort. You see, the Holy Spirit will lead, and he will empower, and he will cause you to speak, but he will also challenge you. And he will always call you some, to somewhere, maybe not always where you want to go, but exactly where he needs you to be. If we want to be a powerful church, an effective church, a relevant church, a, a spirit-led church, then we have to look to his power and his presence and his promises as we leave the building. With that, we come to find, like I said, that the Spirit leads us to some places where we might not want to go, which tells us the second thing about the church, that the church is persecuted.
things. God not only knows about it, but he's planned for it. But this persecution happens because of God's providence, that he is aware of it and using it for his glory. And for many, that sounds countercultural, counterintuitive. We, we know that bad things happen because you must have done something to upset God. You know, if God was happy with you, your life would be good and easy and nice. In fact, there's many churches that preach this whole doctrine that if, if things aren't going well for you, you need more faith, you need more prayer, you need to donate more money. And then you'll live in prosperity and health and, and all these good things will take place. That's not what we see in the early church. As we see throughout Acts, this powerful message of speaking the gospel into the world brings about persecution. And that happens in a lot of ways. The confiscation of property or destruction of property, arrests, imprisonment, beatings, torture, executions. And if we as the church are living as the church should live and preaching as the church should preach, it shouldn't surprise us that persecution will eventually be the result. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So here's the challenge. The church doesn't get to choose whether or not we will be persecuted. But we do get to choose how we will respond. I love this response we see in Acts chapter 5. You see, the apostles are are arrested by the Sanhedrin, by the religious police of the day for preaching Jesus, and and they come before them. It says they called the apostles in and had them flogged. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And I love this boldness. I love that they're arrested and they're whipped and they not only leave rejoicing, but they go right back to doing exactly what got them arrested to begin with, preaching Jesus. And I think this really sets a model and a tone for how the rest of the church throughout the New Testament and even today faces persecution. James 1, 2 through 3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He says, consider it pure joy, consider it the utmost happiness that nothing better has ever happened to you than to be persecuted. And we read that, and think, you know, that's a great theory, James. That, that looks great on a card that you could buy at a Bible bookstore. But it's not reality. But maybe it should be. A few years ago, when uh, ISIS was kind of at the height of their terrorism in the Middle East, 21 Egyptian Christians were, were executed by ISIS in one day for their faith in Jesus. And after the attack, a, a brother of two of the men who were martyred for their faith was interviewed on his local news network, and Obviously, he had a few choice words to say about what had happened to the men who had killed his biological and spiritual brothers. But they aren't words that you would expect to hear. The words he said, thank you. Bashir Kamel thanked ISIS for keeping the Christians' last words of Lord Jesus Christ in the video that showed their execution and for strengthening his family's faith and his faith. He remarked that his brothers are a pride to Christianity, and they are my pride too. And he said, the families in our village grieve not for their loss, but rather congratulate one another, saying, we are proud to have this number of people from our village who have become martyrs. 
The mother, likewise, of two of the executed men echoed the same sentiment, saying that if if she were to see one of the men who killed her sons, she would ask him to enter into her house and ask God to open his eyes because he was the reason that her sons entered the kingdom of heaven. And as incredible as stories like this sound, this, this pure joy in the midst of persecution is possible because we know that there is purpose in and for the persecution. That there is a purpose because the church has a mission. That's the third thing that we see the church is, that the church is God's vehicle of hope for the world. The stories that your grandpa tells over and over over lunch on Sunday or there's stories that are told as you look over old photo albums of your family. It's like calling those stories boring because the book of Acts is so much more than just words on a page. It's our story. What happened in these 28 chapters are why you and I are even gathered in this room to begin with this morning. It's the story of bringing the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, into the kingdom of God. That's what being sent to the ends of the earth is all about. The church has a mission. The church is the very vehicle by which God has chosen to communicate this gospel story, the good news of his son's life, death, and resurrection all over the globe. And it's a total shift in the mindset that has occurred throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, what we see is Israel's idea that their mission for communicating the truth of God was to look at the other nations and say, hey, we're going to be over here, and we're going to do our best to be holy, and we're going to do our best to look different. And when we're different, those people will come over and say, why are you so different? And then we'll tell them about God's truth. But after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the method has changed. And if we content ourselves to just sit in this room and wait for people to wander in off the street to find Jesus here, then we have failed in our mission. If we just content ourselves to say, you wander in and then we'll help you, then we'll tell you, then we'll give you the life-changing, life-giving truth of Jesus, then we are missing the point. See, the church, as God intended it to be, is a sending church, and it's a going church, and it's a bringing church, and it's a church that leaves the building. Don't you want to be that kind of church? Acts 9. I'll close with this. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud. He's coming again. But it's also challenging because Acts doesn't end in chapter 28. We still have work to do. 
And I love the angel's words. You know, why are you standing here looking into the sky? You know, don't just stand here looking for Jesus still in the world, but go and be Jesus in the world. And that's the invitation. That's the challenge that I want to offer this morning to all of us is to be Jesus in the world. To be Jesus in your workplaces, to be Jesus in your families, to be Jesus in your neighborhoods, in your communities, because where you are Jesus and where you bring Jesus might be the only Jesus that are exposed to, to learn the truth of who he is. That your invitation, your life, your witness, your testimony, your words matter. Because as we leave this building, they might, you might be the only Jesus they have exposure to before they come to find who he is. You see, you can't be Jesus, though, until you've committed your life to Jesus. And so if that's where you're at this morning, I know many of us are are Christians in this room. Many of you have been Christians a long, long time. But if you're not, if you are just kind of new to Jesus, wondering what he can offer to your life, we'd love to talk with you about that. I'd love to pray with you. I know Daniel would talk with you, one of our elders. We would love to tell you about what Jesus can do in your life. He doesn't always promise an easy life. But he promises a life beyond any life that you can have in this world without him. For those of you that are Christians, that know Jesus, that want to be Jesus in this world, I want to encourage you to be a part of helping the church achieve its mission. To get involved in serving and loving and going like the church has been called to go and do. You see, church, let us commit ourselves as we study this book in the months to come to not just content ourselves to simply do church, but to be the church. In other words, let's leave the building. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and I'm, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to be a part of this church family as we embark on this journey through the book of Acts, looking at what it means to live out our faith, to live out your mission that you've given us, that yes, coming together and gathering on a Sunday morning is, is so important. It's an essential part of what we do. And God, we're thankful that after this season that we're beginning to see more and more of that as we come and we study your word and we worship you and we praise you that, that we're able to do that. But this is meant to be a launching pad, a place that we come to be filled with your power and presence and your, the knowledge of who you are and what you've called us to do and then to go out all over our world God, that starts in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, the places that we have influence. And so, God, I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us to have those conversations, to point others to you, that in their times of hardship or despair, or even in their times where they think they don't need you, God, that we would have the words to say to point people to your truth and your love and your grace and your hope. God, I pray that as we continue throughout this book, we will be more and more challenged and encouraged to get outside of these walls, to leave the building, because we know that when we leave this building, the show is just getting started. So God, I pray that your spirit would be a part working within us, to give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the words to speak, to lead others to know Jesus. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.